Oh. Hello. This is Ben's bedtime stories. And I did some digging for you last week, Ben, after you, um, when we stopped recording, Ben said, I quit and was not happy with last week's stories because they were sad. Um, no, it's not even that. I was, happy, I was annoyed about the photo of the little girl oh. and the guy that just flew there just to take a picture of the dying girl. Like, so. and I guarantee he's just waltzed around and got awards and lived a very happy life. Wow. So, yeah, fuck that guy. I did some investigating for you, Ben. So we're going to start this week with a, a little quick two minutes about this guy, Frank Fournier, the photographer of the... I'm pretty sure it's Fournier. Fournier, yes, because I think he's French, um, of the Omira Sanchez photo that we spoke about last week. Um, I found a quote that says from... Uh, that Frank said, When I took the pictures... I felt totally powerless in front of this little girl who was facing death with courage and dignity. She could sense that life was going. I felt I had to report what this little girl was going through. Um, and he said that he gave the film from his camera to members on his team that were on their way back to the airport. They got shipped back to his agent in Paris and she died three hours after he got back to Paris. So it was all very quick. And the photo was published in the Paris Match magazine a few days later. Um, and similar to what you said, people asked, why didn't you help her? Why didn't you get her out? And he says, well, it was impossible. There wasn't really anything we could do, just sort of make her comfortable. There was a public outcry and debates on TV on the nature of photojournalists and how much that they are seen by the public as vultures, really, like you said, just trying to get that. Um, that picture and he he said I tried to do my job with as much honesty and integrity as possible I believe the photo helped raise money around the world in aid and helped highlight the irresponsibility and lack of courage from the country's leaders um, there was an obvious lack of leadership no evacuation plans um, but I got this a bit wrong so I thought that because it had been dormant for so long they didn't think anything was going to happen, whereas I did some more digging. It turns out scientists had actually foreseen this catastrophic event of the eruption, and they had given the country's world, not the country's leader, sorry, warning about this, and they basically didn't do anything about it. So it oh, like the mines in Wales. Yeah, so it, it could have been, um, they could have helped the people in that situation better. So, um, yeah. But, I mean, this is not the first um, photograph that he's taken from a horrific thing. I did look some of them up. Don't worry, I'm not going to show you. Uh, I looked on his portfolio online. He is a humanistic photographer. And his works also include infants with AIDS in Romania, the rape victims in Sarajevo in the Bosnian Civil War, the genocide in Rwanda, and the destruction... I don't know how you say it, but I can't think how it is said, so... Oh, okay, and the destruction of the World Trade Center on September the 11th. So I guess a lot of his work is surrounded Profit by misery. Yeah, well, okay, we'll put it that way. Um, so I'm I'm sorry for everyone out there that's heard it a million times, but Ben hears me blather on about it all the time. It's got to be done. It's got to be done. Ben, are you ready for your bedtime story? Born ready. <sighs> I hope you've all got. I'm drinking my true crime wine. My my 19 crimes wine 
that Ben got me for Christmas. Andrea is a little bit slurry because apparently it's 14%. It's 14%. I got a nice little video of the guy on the front who was done for treason. Go and grab yourself a bottle. It tastes good. Um, and it's fun to play with augmented reality on your phone. Um, right, let's get into this. Should it's... explain. There's a label on the bottle of this 19 Crimes wine, which I picked up from, I think, Morrison's, but I could be wrong. You can scan it on your phone and, and you it can gives scan you it on a your phone story. It'll give you a little story and it'll use augmented reality to give you the story of the person on the bottle, which is kind of a cool little feature, especially it's for people who like true listen crime. to this sort of thing. It's good. It's a very good present. We're not in any way sponsored or affiliated. No, it's just we're cool. not. We just like the wine. It tastes good. Although, if you're listening, mm. 19 Crimes, whatever they're called, sponsor us. Yeah. Um, so... It's December the 26th, 1996, 5.30 in the morning, Boulder, Colorado. I'm so sorry, everyone. I'm sorry, it has to be done. It has to be done. Um, there's a 911 call that comes through. Help, we have a kidnapping. It's Patsy Ramsey. We're doing John Bonnet. Um, oh, this is one of those things that I guess you've heard me go on about so often, Ben, but do you actually know anything about this case? Um... Don't you think her brother killed her or something? That's about all I know. You're always bleating on okay. about her brother or something. Well, that's good. That's good that you don't... Okay, you don't know I much don't know. about you, it. You sort of ramble about it. Mm. It's one of those things that... I remember we went to Wicksteed last... No, two years ago now, with your friends Lewis and Lucy. And two years ago? That was two years ago. Who can't... I'm, I'm going to... Um, thank you, Lucy, for introducing me to the World of True Crime podcast. Because one of the first questions she asked me was... Have you listened to any true crime podcasts? So I started on that, and I had to say to her, "Who do you think killed John Bonet?" And that was it. Head it off. So, thanks, Lucy. Um. So they, yeah, there, there's a phone call that comes through tonight. I want we are, help. We have a kidnapping, and she's very distressed on the phone. Someone has taken her six-year-old daughter, John Bonet. There is a ransom note that she found on the um, stairs that lead down. I think it's the kitchen. It's about three pages long, this ransom note. And the long and short of this um, this note is that they are asking for $118,000 for the, t the safe return of six-year-old John Bonet. What and a they specific are... amount. Thank you. Why not 100000 Have your brain head on, but Detective Ben. Hospital worker Ben. Like, <laughs> why not one... Billion dollars. Why hundred and eighteen? Is that Austin 000? Powers? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, and they're also told to wait at the phone between eight and ten o'clock um, with this money, and they'll be instructed what to do next. However, um, between eight and ten passes, there is no phone call. So at this point, um, sorry, early on in the morning, Patsy calls her friends and family over for comfort, which means instantly. The crime, scene. the crime scene. Huh? Yeah, the, yeah, absolutely. The crime scene is contaminated. There's people all over the place. Um, and she's even sort of getting busy doing things in the kitchen and cleaning and all that sort of stuff. So, um, in the house there is Patsy Ramsey, the mum, John Ramsey, the father, and Burke Ramsey, who is nine years old, John Bonet's brother, and John Bonet was six. Um, seven hours after... Patsy wakes up and finds this letter. They've they've looked all around the house basically, and the 
it's a massive house it's a mansion and it has the basement first like ground second it's, it's quite big um and in the basement there is a big big room and there is a door that leads to what they call a wine cellar or like a coal cellar type room it's like the the furthest away room from the house i guess that you would need to go into um and they've checked everywhere i'm sure at some point somebody takes a picture of that door and nobody goes in they're just yeah that room gets good so gets overlooked which had they have looked in the wine cellar this case could have gone completely differently because seven hours into John Bonet um, going missing, uh, I guess from when she called 911, the police say to John Ramsey, look, let's just search the house again, him and this one policewoman, I think, and we'll try and see if we can find anything different that we missed last time around, maybe. So um, John Ramsey starts searching the house again. He goes down to the basement, but this time he opens the wine cellar door and he sees the dead body of John Bonet laying on the wine cellar floor um she has got her wrists that are they're loosely but they're tied they're tied like above her head um and she's got duct tape over her mouth the dad pulls the duct tape off of her mouth and carries her body upstairs to the ground floor where everyone else is which means it's even contaminated more contaminated evidence, yeah, yeah. yeah um there is a garret like a rope around her neck and at the end of the rope is a broken paintbrush handle. It's like the middle bit of a paintbrush handle. It's like almost like the other sides of it have been snapped off. Um, so Christmas Day the day before, the sort of timeline of events leading up to this is like most people's Christmas days. They woke up, they opened presents. I think John Bonet got a bike that year. Everything was great. They went to, they had Christmas dinner and they had a party at their friend, this couple called the Whites, at their house. And they spend the afternoon and evening there. And they return at about half nine at night. Um, the Ramseys say that Perk, uh, Perk, Burke, went straight to bed. John carried John Bonet to bed because I guess she would fall asleep in the car or whatever like kids do. So, um... A little bit of background on the family. John is a very successful businessman. Um, Patsy, she's very successful in her own right. She um, came from a small town in Virginia and she qualified with a, a Bachelor of Arts in Journalism. And she's also a former pageant, pageant queen. Okay. Um, she won Miss West Virginia in 1977. Um, and this was something that she then opened John Bonet into when she was young the whole pageant world with like the younger girls in pageants um which i think got a bad rap from the public but from interviews with the dad um john bonnet loved this it, it was more of a case of it it wasn't always patsy pushing her to do it like john bonnet was very outgoing like you'd expect it to be when you've seen these sort of like pageant mum shows and stuff it's yeah. not it's not like that she it, actually enjoyed it she does enjoy it she's very outgoing she loves performing there's so many sweet videos of her singing or dancing sort of thing i'd imagine aurora might enjoy she would love it yeah um, and she wouldn't got, get her into like, that but yeah. no because it's got such a negative um stigma it has hasn't it yeah so i'm clicking for a second so sit up and oh, okay. control it so um, she won quite a lot of awards. She won America's Royale Miss 
Little Miss Charlevoix, um, Little Miss Colorado, Colorado State All-Star Kids Cover Girl, and National Tiny Miss Beauty. So she did pretty well on it. Um, but it is so drastic to see the pictures between her when she's at home normally to when she's dressed up in her pageant outfit. So she's got like the big, she's had like the big rollers in her hair. She's got the big 90s kind of curls and um, all the makeup. And and you can sort of see that she is enjoying herself, but yeah, it gets a lot of stigma. Um, Negative stigma. Because stigma's not really like just a word on it. Not just a word on its own. <laughs> so, yeah. So they take a long look at the letter. And there's no way around this. My thoughts are going to get involved in this, Ben. So chirp in any time you feel like. Um, the ransom letter. It's like the mum's handwriting. It's three pages long. And um, it was written on a notepad that belonged to Patsy Ramsey. So it was written in the house, we can assume. Um, the ink was analysed. And it was written using a pen that was on, I'm assuming, like a, a pot or something. But the pen was returned to where it was meant to be. This was a case of someone that, if you're thinking of an, an intruder, quite a polite intruder. They put everything back. So Except the kid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Christ. Yeah, okay. So... The $118,000, you say, that was the uh, Christmas bonus that John Ramsey received that year, that amount. Fucking nice. A very specific amount that, I so guess... So he spent it all himself and went, ah, oh, shit. Shit, I've got to get that money back. <coughs> N well, um, yeah, so it's, I guess that's a number that not many people would know, unless, I guess, you're very close to the Ramsey family. Go and open that door, just let her out. Evie, you've always got to get involved and ruin things, haven't you? We're not talking to you right We're not now. talking We're to talking the children. Oh. Yeah, open the back door and let her out. Um, anyway, I'll carry on for you guys. Um, the That is a really good documentary. You want to try and look this up. I'll try and find it and post it in our group. It's about two or three episodes long and it is basically um, investigators that you'll recognise from TV programmes today and they go over the evidence and they try and re-look at this case. Um, so anyway, they, the investigators in this, in this documentary that, I've, that I absolutely love, they try and write out this ransom note that's two, three pages long and it takes them a good 14 minutes to write this um, letter which, I don't know about your thoughts of that, but if you're breaking into someone's house, Ben, are you going to spend a good 14 minutes sitting down and writing? That's quite a risky thing to be doing, isn't it? I mean, so stealing a child, I guess, if you're going to take one risk. Well, yeah. Um, and instantly the police, they, they take handwriting samples from the parents and they instantly think, hang on a minute, this is a cover-up. Um, they think, that, and I've looks at the handwriting experts analysis to be fair you can find it online it it looks like Pansy's, uh, patsy's handwriting it really does um even certain points in her c um they can tell like the corners how she rounds them off certainly at the bottom it, it's all very similar um and the paintbrush handle that was used on the garret around john bonnet's neck also came from patsy's paint box so it's all things that belongs to the mum um so the autopsy again I've spent a few hours maybe in the middle of the night reading her autopsy records. Um, 
so she was found in her pyjamas. There was cords loose on each wrist. The upper sleeve right, there was a mucus stain, which I think possibly from like a runny nose, kids sort of rub their nose on their sleeves, don't they? Um, the, her PJ bottoms and underwear were stained with urine. And the crotch of her underwear, there was a 0.5 inch in diameter, um, a red stain, which is a very, very important part that I think flips people between whether they think the parents were involved or not on this. Um, there was obviously a garret around her neck. And the only way I can describe the rope use, it's almost like synthetic shoelace, it looks like. Do you know what I mean? Like the white kind of plasticky... Um, shoelace sort of like 2007 lonsdale shoelace yes yeah to me it looks yeah. like that um and they determined that she was killed by a skull fracture and strangulation there is and this is another thing that splits people um whether they believe what's happened to her or not there is no evidence of rape however sexual assault cannot be ruled out so when you hear in a lot of these documentaries they say she was assaulted so hang on. I don't think anyone's if sure. No evidence of rape. How can't they rule out sexual assault? Because of this red stain that they think is blood was in her underwear. They cannot rule it out. Um, but obviously, just by a stain, you can't always tell where it's come from. You, you can't be sure. Um, and the the one thing that does help set a timeline of events of what happened that night is there is undigested pineapple in her stomach there is also some dark circular small um wounds on the side of her neck and on her back that are probably a couple of inches apart they're like two dots um which one of the detectives um thinks is a stun gun wound and that is how she was maybe taken by an intruder by a stun gun so they find on the kitchen table there is a bowl of pineapple there whoever gave her that pineapple and let her eat that they're saying is probably the person that killed her um the fingerprints on the bowl there's only two people's fingerprints on that bowl and it's patsy the mum and burke the brother which doesn't make sense because the patsies are saying that at 9.30 when they came in from the party, they put her to bed. And yet, she somehow went missing in the night and they don't know where she's gone. Well, that's got to be a lie because there's pineapple in her stomach and there's a bowl of pineapple on the table. And even though her, her prints are not on that bowl, she's eaten some of that pineapple that was in the bowl. Am I making sense? Yeah, and then obviously the mum's given her that pineapple. Okay. Really. So... Um, oh, it's very difficult depending on what documentaries you see but the the main thing of it is that they say that the Ramseys refused to be interviewed at first um, and John Ramsey is actually overheard by a police officer that day he's on the phone and he's booking a flight for the him, his wife and Burke to fly back to their um, hometown of um, their home state of Atlanta Atlanta? No, Atlanta, Georgia, isn't it? Atlanta's the city town. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, American geography is so complicated. Okay, so he's tr he's planning on flying them back there, which is where they, I think they originated from. And the police are like, look, you can't just go 
um, there's an investigation to be done. <laughs> you can't just <laughs> disappear, mate. You have to kind of hang around. Um, so they, they agree they have to stay. So the Ramses are saying, well, there must have been an intruder that broke into the house and has done this to her. Um, however, there's, at first sight, there's not really signs of a break-in. Um, it was snowing. There's no footprints in the snow that they can find although i guess you would have had people come into the front of the door so again it would have been contaminated um there's no sort of you know no obvious signs of a forced entry however in the basement in the um wine cellar there is a window that is open there is a broken pane on that window and john says oh yeah that was me i accidentally broke that pane on the window and i just never got around to replacing it and the, the yeah but i guess they i guess you could just ignore that because the house is so big um mm. however the window is open if you like damp <laughs> yeah that's true and if you look outside so at like eye level if you were just if you were just walking outside the back of the house there's like a grate on the floor that you can lift upwards and then climb down and that's where the window is to the basement and people at first were going, nah, you can't get someone down there. Um, and there was actually a um, detective who, in all accounts, has got a fantastic um, what's the word? reputation. reputation. Um, detective Smith, who was brought out of retirement because he is certain, still to this day, he thinks it was an intruder that broke in. And he actually said to them, look, you can lift up this grate on the floor, you can slip down... And you can go through that open window. You can get into the basement. Um, so that there's a possibility that somebody could have got in. Uh, so yeah, there is a partial footprint outside near the grate for a high-tech boot. Which they can't find any boots that match this in the Ramsey's house. However, um, the documentary I love where they go over this case is there's spider webs all around this window and debris and leaves and stuff and they are completely undisturbed and they actually reenact this window and they have sort of um, the leaves and stuff and show what would happen if you went through the window you're going to knock leaves all the way into the house you're going to break the cobwebs you're going to disturb the like natural environment that it's in um but it was a 7,000 square foot mansion. So there was gardeners, there was housekeepers, there was plenty of people that had access to that place. So my theory is that that high-tech boot print could have come from even a gardener. We don't know. It's it's very difficult to... I mean, any any kind of... Whether you think the intruders or somebody inside did this, they've both got quite good arguments. Um, there is... So in the intruder theory, there is somebody who the dad is suspicious of straight away, which makes me think, why would you let this guy back into your house? And that is a guy called Bill McReynolds. And the Patsies would often throw Christmas parties every year. And they have one at their house on the 23rd of December. And this guy looks the spit of Santa. Like if you're going <laughs> to have, if you're going to have a Santa, um, <laughs> someone to come and dress up as Santa for the kids you want this guy like he's got the real beard he's got the glasses he's really kind of smiley looking and like spot on he does it really well but they all notice that he does pay a little bit too much attention to John Bonet and 
um, she gave him like a big tour of the house like kids do and they're like come look at my bedroom you know like she kind of took him around the house um, apparently even to the, the wine cellar so you know there's a possibility that he could have seen and thought oh that's a way I can get in um, he referred to John Bonet as his special friend and he gave her a card this Christmas that says, you will receive a special gift after Christmas. Right. Which everyone's like, whoa, that's weird. You can't say that to a six-year-old. Um, she gave him, like, you know, kids have those little bottles of glitter. They're always like, I think Aurora's even got one, like a little vial of glitter that's just yeah. cute fairy thing. Um, she gave him one of those as like a little present, like this is for you, Santa. And I think she really believed that he was the real Santa, obviously, because <laughs> she was, which is quite sweet in a way, isn't it? Um, he had open heart surgery and he apparently he took this vial of glitter with him as like a good luck thing which I guess could be weird or whatever um, and everyone's like this guy is just a bit too suspicious like what's going on here um, his wife Janet even wrote a play years before about a girl who was abused and tortured in a basement and everyone's like oh this is weird but on further um, investigating I actually found out that the wife wrote this play on Sylvia Likens that we did. You okay. know, the yeah. girl that was abused. Um, and also, they're saying, hang on a minute, this bloke's just had open heart surgery. He would be way too weak to be fighting with a... a I mean, six-year-olds can be tall, and they're not like a two-year-old, are they? A six is quite... I mean... I think of our daughter now, she's five. In a year, fuck, she's tall, man. And How she's quite... He's old, seventies maybe. No, that's a ridiculous argument. Just uh, just Passing. after open heart surgery, he what? would be pretty uh, weak. How soon after open heart surgery? I'm not sure. Like a couple of weeks maybe. We're gonna say. He's still a fully grown man, isn't he? He is. And we don't but... know. I mean, I don't know. You might. Yeah, I don't know anything about his background either. Like if he's got a, a background in like being like a lumberjack, he was jumping something yeah. to that effect, or like a, he's a landscape gardener or whatever else. I think he was just their friendly Santa. Like, yeah, he, but, he I mean, that wasn't his entire friend. life, was it? <laughs> no, no like... he was, yeah. No, I don't know. I think he was retired. Um, no, but he was point. he was ruled out. Anyway, they realised this guy, is not, there's no DNA to put him at the scene. He's fine. So we're going to go on to the theory of Patsy now, because this is what uh, many of the investigators think. Um, John Bonet had a history of bedwetting which I guess might assume why she was, her pyjama bottoms were soaked in urine. Um, and they are saying that what they think happened is she possibly accidentally lost her temper with John Bonet that night um, and could have accidentally hit her with something and then needing to cover it up stage like a strangling and wrote the note. She put the note at the bottom of the staircase at the back of the house which is a staircase that patsy comes down every morning in um you know rather than the main staircase it was one that i guess went into like the dining room or kitchen or something um so you know that it, it all just seems a bit too convenient that it's all of patsy's stuff um and this could have been why however there is the counter theory that well the counter argument that i guess that her bed clothes her pajamas were wet but her bedding wasn't um, and you can see she's got like the whole 97 sort of like Beauty and the Beast duvet and sheets and none of those are wet, um, but her clothes are. Um, they say she was she was a bit of a strict mum, 
Um, and she had previously lashed out and hit Don Bonet for wet in the bed. So there's there's that. Um, the theory, and to be honest, I, I do think between this and Patsy is probably the most likely. Um, there's been problems between Burke and John Bonet in the past. Jo um, Burke was the absolute apple of his mother's eye when he was an only child, and he did have all of her attention. And then obviously John Bonet came along, and there's theories that actually he wasn't so happy that he wasn't then getting all of the attention from his mum. Um, he had previously hit John Bonet with a golf club in the face that had scarred her on her face somewhere. Roughly. Uh, yeah. And they're. Well, kids do shitty they, things to each other, don't they? They do, yeah. Um, and the 911 call has been sort of gone over with new technology um, in this documentary I saw where they enhance the sounds of things. And the. Patsy and John say that Burke was still in bed by the time they have this 911 call. But the investigators on this show are actually saying that they think they can hear a third voice on this phone call, that Burke might not be in bed, that he might actually be up. Um, and they think it's it's possible that it was, it was Burke's voice and that maybe there was some sort of accident and the Ramseys are trying to cover it up. There was also a problem which has not been put in any sort of sense as a theory yeah that's why I, I do think it might have been accidental um it's not put in any of the documentaries but there are quite a lot of articles i read online where there is um issues with burke um smearing feces and as a kid and sometimes he would do this to john bonnet's possessions including um, a box of candy one year that she got for christmas he would just smear it all on there we're gonna go ahead a box of what candy yeah so we're going to go ahead and call that chocolate, right? Yeah, I would have thought so. Yeah. Uh, Sorry to our transatlantic listeners, but yeah. it's chocolate, it's not candy. Don't do that. I think they just put it all underneath one name, don't they? I know like... they're American, but don't. Mm, okay. Don't do that. So the theory is that he was, uh, he, he had become quite jealous because of all the time that John Bonet and Patsy were spending with their pageants, because I guess it was something they could do. And even the dad admits it was something that the, the mother and daughter did together as a hobby. And it's quite time consuming as well, isn't it? It's not like you I would have thought so, yeah. An hour to a no. It's got to be like a, an all day, a day thing. thing or a couple of day thing, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I guess depending on how like many stages they have to get through in a competition. I guess. And then you've got to practice and. Yeah. So uh, the theory is that because Burke's fingerprints are on this bowl of pineapple, that Patsy would have given it to Burke as a snack. And maybe John Bonet came past and, like kids do, just nick something off their sibling. Um, she took some of the pineapple. There's a torch on the kitchen table, uh, quite a heavy-looking one, like the big round flashlights you see in, I guess, most American things on TV. Um, and the investigators going over this in the documentary I saw, they think that actually this is what caused a skull fracture, that he would have grabbed this after she took his pineapple bashed her on the head with it as sort of like a you know siblings battering each other like they do um and that actually um yeah fractured her skull um they look at the marks on her body from where supposedly they think she's been uh, attacked with a stun gun and they measure the um there's a train track that i think they found in the basement uh that was burke's and they measure the distance between these marks and they come to the conclusion that actually it's 
um, the wire bits that come out at the end of a train track piece and that they think that John Bonnet would have been unconscious at this point and that Burke was actually poking his sister to see if she was still alive. Um, and that's how she got these wounds. But if he whacked her, then he's not going to be poking her to see if she's still alive, is he? Well, if she's like flat out cold on the floor, if they, if they were chasing each other and she ran down to the basement... Yeah, you're not going to have like understanding of the finality of it all when you've done that. No, I don't think kids do. They're not going to think, oh, if I hit my sister, I could fracture her skull. They're just going to think, whack, my sibling's taken something of mine. Kids fight, don't they? Um, And they do think that actually this is when the parents are like, well, Patsy especially, she's going to protect her son and she's going to cover up for him and try and, you know, she's already lost one kid there. Exactly, yeah. She doesn't want to lose another one. I can completely understand that. Absolutely understand that. Imagine one of you know, have to deal with the fact that your daughter's dead, and then you've got a. And he's nine. Have your boy shipped off to some yeah, offenders thing. Exactly. Um, so as much as I, I do think maybe that's what happened. I do sympathise with the family completely. I think that's absolutely got to be awful. Um, however, Patsy in her interview says, "Well, the kidnapper must have given John Bonet the pineapple." Um, maybe it was, they say maybe it was that guy who was pretending to be Santa, he could have tricked her and been like, come on, let's go down and have a bedtime snack, and given it to her, and she would have quite happily sat there and eaten it with him, thinking that he was Santa. But, I mean, he's been ruled out, so it wasn't that. Um, my little thought on that is, so the kidnapper uses the Ramsey's pen and paper to write the ransom note, um, the paintbrush handle that belongs to Patsy, but brings his own pineapple. <laughs> I can't get my head around that theory. So that... she hasn't explained why the pineapple's there. <laughs> no, just that he, the intruder must have given it to her. And I think, wouldn't... Normally when you see these serial killers, because let's face it, killers that do this don't do it once. They, If, if they are breaking into homes, they do it more than once. Um, so, you know, things like BTK that we covered. He took his own kill kit. <sighs> You don't just go into the house and hope that you're going to find something there. Even if she, like, just sort of said, oh, yeah, me and Burke had some pineapple, maybe the kidnapper gave it to, mm. to, to, to sort of, like, plead the fifth on where the pineapples yeah. even come from. It's a bit... It's a bit overly trying to cover... Tracks. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so this, this Detective Smith, that comes in he's the one that definitely still thinks it's an intruder he was brought out of retirement he's got a very good reputation he's i think he's managed to solve so many cases that were cold um and he keeps saying you know i couldn't believe that they would do it to their own child we now pause this podcast for an interruption you can have a drink in a minute do as you're told and go back upstairs please and i will speak to you in a minute we're busy recording Okay. That's a good idea. Have you got drink in there? Right. Feel, Andrew. That's fine. Um, so, I mean, you could probably hear this anyway, Ben. I've told you about the grate and by the window. He goes into the basement and he finds there is a suitcase that is underneath the open window. Yeah. Um, there's a duvet in this suitcase and there is fibres on the duvet that is also found on John Bonnet's pyjamas. So... 
the theory is maybe the um, intruder tried to put her in the suitcase. Maybe it was a um, abduction that had gone wrong. Um, but Detective Smith is, is, he ends up dropping out of the case and says, look, this is not fair. You're going for the parents and I, I do think it's an intruder. Um, so, yeah, it's very difficult. I'm just saying, Ben, that there's a suitcase that was open uh, under it was underneath the window that was open so the fibers on the duvet in the suitcase was also found on John Bonnet's body so they think that maybe they tried to put her in a suitcase and tried to abduct her and it didn't work they couldn't for whatever reason lift that suitcase out of the window so um, there's also a mark on the wall that looks like somebody has tried to stand on the suitcase push their foot against the wall and climb back out so I mean, my thought is, you, do you know what? If the parents have accidentally killed her, they need to get rid of her body. They're going to try and put it in a suitcase too. I don't think that's substantial evidence for an intruder. They could have easily made that mark on the wall and pretended to do that themselves. I don't... The fact there's still undisturbed cobwebs and debris around that window still makes me think that it was an inside job. Um, so on her... Uh, this is really difficult because we get to the touch DNA on her underwear from an unknown male. Now... I'm going to try and explain this DNA thing as carefully as I can because I don't understand it as well as someone who does this does. But basically, they're saying that to get a full DNA profile of a person, you need 13 markers. And this DNA that was found on John Bonnet's clothing, there was only four out of 13 of the markers. It's a very, very tiny amount. They can't even get a full DNA profile of what this is. Um, they run it through the computer of people's dna they've got it doesn't match with anyone so they're saying that touch dna can get on places and clothing from all different and non-suspicious means so you could think it's an intruder that maybe abused her you might agree with them saying actually this could even come off like the people that worked in the factory that made her clothes we just don't know um but there was a lot of errors in this case there was loss and contamination of the evidence lack of experience and uh the staff that started the investigation the evidence that was shared with the ramses should have been kept quiet and the delayed informal interviews of the parents everything was just a bit you know so in 1998 two years later they get a grand jury together to consider indicting the ramses and the boulder county district attorney did not prosecute because he didn't believe there was enough evidence to prove guilt beyond reasonable doubt um, for a criminal conviction that the Ramses had done anything wrong. Um, and then in 2002, the next... I'm really sorry, I didn't get the name of the first district attorney's name. But the woman that takes over him called Mary Lacey, uh, she agrees that the touch DNA excludes the Ramleys completely and she publicly exonerates them. The who? The what? The Ramleys. The, the, the Ramses. She even writes like a letter to him saying. I'm sorry, it's really good. <laughs> yeah, she she writes him a letter and publicly says no, they're exonerated. They didn't have anything to do with their daughter's death. Um. The there's a formal investigator called Gordon Coombe, who works on the case, and he says, "quote We." We shed DNA all the time within our skin cells. It can be deposited anywhere from any time for various reasons. Reasons that are benign. 
To clear somebody just on the premise of touch DNA, especially when you have a situation where the crime scene wasn't secure at the beginning, really is a stretch. I mean, her body was even moved from the crime scene because John took it upstairs. So to eliminate the fact that they've done anything wrong just on that tiny, tiny, like, bit of touch DNA, when the whole crime scene was contaminated, it seems a bit unjust, really. I feel like they need to be looking a bit like every kind of idea just in case so um and there's a forensic psychiatrist who works on the case called Stephen Pitt and he says it's a real big slap in the face to those that worked on the case for years just to exonerate them completely uh in 2013 the sealed court documents um come out that the grand jury actually did vote to indict the Ramses they wanted to have them charged for this and they wanted to charge them with placing a child at risk in a way that led to her death and with obstructing an investigation of a murder. But obviously that guy was like, I don't care, I don't think there's enough evidence, so we're not going to listen to what the grand jury said. What's the point of the fucking jury? What, literally, what is the point? Um, I'm not going to go too much into it because you can look it up if you want. I don't think it bears much on the investigation. There's quite a few other people that have been said that, oh, they must have had something to do with it. Um, there's a bloke called John Mark Carr, he's 41 years old, he's been convicted of child pornography, which can we stop using child pornography as a thing? It's child abuse images. I hate when they say that when they're like child porn. No, it's not porn, it's abuse images, but it's just my little thing. Um, yeah, so he's been done for child abuse images, but he's also a teacher of like primary school age in America. Um, he America. Yeah. He was arrested in Bangkok. Bangkok? Bang, what's the place in Thailand? Bangkok. Bangkok. He was arrested there. Yeah, he was arrested like Bangkok. there. I think Bangkok. Bangkok. <laughs> ben, you can't do that. It sounds better, doesn't it? So he <laughs> falsely confessed. <laughs> in, uh, what? Family guy. <laughs> like, you know, come my shop. Bing bong. Um, he he confessed to drugging, um, assaulting and accidentally killing her, but they're like, this guy's just in it for 15 minutes of fame because there's no DNA that puts him at the place. And if you look at the interviews with him, he is a bit of a drama queen. I think he's definitely in it just for the... I have no doubt that he probably would have wanted to get his grubby little mitts on John Bonet, but I feel like he was just... Yeah, they said it's a false confession, basically. Uh, so... Patsy Ramsey had been struggling for years uh, with ovarian cancer. I think she had been going through some experimental um, drug treatment program to try and cure this, which um, didn't work. And unfortunately, she passed away on the 24th of June 2006. Um, there's, there's been one or two other people where uh, I think there was a guy who supposedly had like an actual shrine to John Bonet, and he seemed a bit... Um, I can't remember his name now, but he was also not... There was no DNA to place him at the scene, um, and that was ruled out. Uh, but, uh, I mean, it's still unsolved to this day. Nobody seems to... Even though, the bar this one Detective Smith that really insists there was, there was definitely an intruder, I think most people sway that it was something that happened in the home and it was covered up. Um, the, uh, the last thing I will say is that many cases of where you find a child killer, I mean, take like, um, my mind's gone black, the Moores murderers with Myra Hinley and 
and one's gone blank. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, they lured the children away. They didn't go into the homes. Um, it is a case of having to get that child's trust to, you know, oh, come with me and I'll give you a penny and, you know, come and help me do this. And I think that's why Myra Henley was used because she was a woman. It was, it was getting her, you know, come, come with me, you can help me. And with things like BTK and like people like Richard Ramirez and stuff, if they broke into a house and did it, they, they didn't stop at one. They carried on. And there wasn't any other that I could find child murders in that area in that time. I just don't believe that if there was an intruder, he would have stopped at one murder. I don't think that was the case. Um, but, I mean, the big question is, Ben, and we did say this a while ago, we would do an unsolved one, is... What do you think? Have you got any gut feeling at all? Yeah, the, the, the mum covering it up makes sense to me. The rest of it doesn't. Yeah. I just don't understand. Like, if he abducted her, the Santa man, mm. why would he give her back? Yeah. Because if it was like, oh, he's a pedo and this, that and the other... I'm sorry, but you're not going to take her back, are you? No. And say he abducted her, and you just fucked off somewhere. Mm-hmm. Why would you then go through the risk of taking her back physically into the house and being caught taking her back? Well, I think this is what they're saying, that she wasn't You know actually... like the episode of It's Always Sunny, where they're like, these people have zero awareness of their surroundings. <laughs> <laughs> like, how would you not know? I, I don't think it's a case that they think she was taken from the house. They think if an intruder tried to, they realised they couldn't take her from the house, so uh, assaulted her and killed her in the house. Um, I just don't really believe that someone is going to break into the house with nothing but a stun gun and a Tupperware of pineapple, supposedly, and and just wing it and <laughs> think that... I've got my pineapple, I've got <laughs> my stun gun, I'm ready to kill some babies. <laughs> I'm just not sure. And and the I don't one know thing why that... that accent. It's not even like it's... that area. No, it's not. Um I always feel like if you're gonna kill someone, like that's how you're gonna say. Oh, okay. Like a bit of a hillbilly. Yeah. Yeah. Bit of a a bit of a hip, yeah. Especially if you kill babies. Oh she I mean she wasn't a baby, but yeah. Um the one thing that gets me with this Detective Smith guy is he keeps saying over and over again, and the Ramsey's personal investigator who is well on their side of I mean that's what he's paid for. Um, says a lot of stuff like um, there's a lot of phrases in this ransom note like uh, or she will die, do this or she will die I can't imagine a parent writing that and I'm thinking, you keep saying all the time I can't imagine a parent it's would do this to, to imagine, their child it's, it's, it's your job to prove do you know that what? Didn't. fucking West did that shit to their kids, just because someone's a parent doesn't mean they're not capable of doing something or writing something horrific about their own child and I'd the bit with the garret does bother me because I don't know if um, that that does seem quite a, a stretch for an accident to then have to tie something around your own child's neck and, and, and strangle her. But not all parents are good. Who's to say that they didn't do that? We don't know. And the sad so thing is, is I don't think we're ever going to know. Was the cause of death proven to be asphyxiation? It was both. It was the skull fracture and then she was strangled, they said. So they think maybe that Patsy would have hit her or Burke hit her and mm. somebody else assume it, say Patsy assumed she was dead, then pretended to strangle her to try and cover it up to make it look like that's how she died. I mean, 
Yeah, but you surely don't know, the size do you? of life in that situation. I don't know. I really don't know. I think this is why this is such a, a well scoured over case because people are just you just gotta it just makes you whack your brain over it and just think. Like, in, like like I know they were intelligent, weren't they? I was gonna say unless they were just fucking really stupid about it and like but then that's a bad assumption to make as well because just to say that someone has money as an intelligent doesn't no, also mean that they couldn't. In business, you don't norm, you're not normally successful in business if you're stupid. No, but I am gonna. But I mean, right? Hold so you to let, that me, let me let me sort of preface that by saying, like, obviously, I know you probably say, "Oh, Trump's successful in business," blah, 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 blah. Mm. and then we'll have that whole debate. But he's actually not as successful. He was like no, made yeah. a billionaire yeah. anyway off the start. But um, my my point I meant was. Unless it was something like she'd been hit on the head and it looked like she was going to die anyway and she was stupid enough to think in some way that she was doing some kind of mercy to her. Oh. I can't see a, someone who was genuinely concerned about her daughter would do that. That would, would yeah. go, yeah, or I'll strangle her to put her out of her misery. Like, it's just... Rather know. than just ring an ambulance and be like, my son's hit my, my son's daughter, hit her, she's yeah. okay, she's alive still. Yeah. Like, but she's bleeding, you need to get here quick. Yeah. So, yeah, it's probably why I don't think that. That, Yeah, I think that's... If it was just a case of skull fracture, I would 100% say accident inside the house. But the... it, And then I also think... Do you know what? I don't know, because we don't know what people are like. And just to say that they've got... Um, they've always had a good family life doesn't mean that something could have happened and they could have strangled their kid. I don't know. I really don't. But I definitely think that they know more than they're letting on. I really do. In the same way, I think the McCann's are, but that's none of my business. We can't say that. Don't sue us. No, we can't. We didn't say that. <laughs> we did not say that. Do not sue us. Um, but yeah, so we've done it now. It's out of the way. I won't ever have to well, bombard you honest, with... There's a similarity there. There is. They refuse there to co is. cooperate with the uh, police. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they are also well-to-do parents, so people assume they couldn't have done anything wrong. Um, there we go. I've got all of it out of my system. I will never bother you with this case again. I apologise for the last decade. So, end result. What are we saying? I'm still going to go with Burke. What are you saying? This raccoon came <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a gut feeling? Yeah, yeah, I think Burke. Mm. Oh, and also, you might want to look it up on YouTube. Check out his uh, interview from a couple of years ago. It's like a Dr. Phil type thing. He's uh, a little bit weird. I don't know. I mean, you would be weird, though. Like, if you didn't He's a bit too smiley. Sister, if you didn't kill your sister and she died, like, a long time ago, and you're in the media spotlight, and you're being accused at, like, the age of nine of murdering her and stuff like that, you would be a bit weird, wouldn't you? Oh no, this is an interview when he's growing up though. That's what I mean, but she, he, he went through that as a child. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, mm, yeah, so I'm sure everyone's going to have a lot to say about this because it's one that really does divide opinion. Um, so I guess let us know what you think. <sighs> I'm so excited because we've got a good one next week and I really need to retype it up because my notes are like, um, they're like, you know, Charlie... That bit in It's Always Sunny where he's like Pepe, whatever his name is, on the wall. Oh yeah. It's like that. I really need to retype it in a format that I can read it. Um 
because this was written quite neatly and I still slurred and mixed half of it up. Yeah, but that's not because of the um, writing, it's because of the 14% wine. Uh, yes. Uh, I, I figured I'd look for one next week that Ben would be interested in because um, Ben likes music and skateboarding and ska punk and stuff. So I thought I would try and find one maybe that is going to make up for the fact that I've gone on about this for an hour. And uh, I, I found a really good one, I think. Years. Um, so we're going to do a, a, a quite a famous. Well, I mean, this was famous. This is really famous. We're going to do a famous one next week. So. I hope oh, is it the skateboarder dude? No, it's not. No, no it's not. There's one about a skateboarder dude, isn't it? There, kills there the, is. There's a... Kills the other skater. Well, you think a skater is quite laid back and cool, but uh, there is a skateboarder, a famous skateboarder that murders someone. Um, but no, this we're going to delve into the whole punk scene and find the old shit that they get up to. Uh, cool. But yeah, so I look forward to that, Ben. That sounds good. I will be. Maybe we should do that one as well from the NerfX book. We should. We could just like... Read some segments. Yeah. We'll find out some stuff to do. Okay. Um, <gasps> I might play Animal Crossing. Not played that in a few days. Um, <laughs> please let us know what you think. Now Andrea's just no. purring at you because she's decided that... <laughs> Tradition, traditional words will no longer do the job after this amount of time. There it is. There's the right. Words. Thank you for listening. You to know, I think our... you said that to me in my sleep once. Did I? Yeah. That does not surprise me. Do you have a happy thought? Have we have about we have about five minutes. Give me a happy thought. So we're in 2021 now. Woo! Um, America's going to shit, but what's happening across the pond, Ben? Over to you. <laughs> we're. I just think that, right, I was, listen, I, was, I was listening to Real Big Fish's live album earlier. Told you he likes Scar Punk. And I was listening to the, the bit at the end of the live album where they've just finished playing Sell Out and you hear them all cheering and people walking out and like calling for an encore and stuff like that. And I've just realised that that could happen again this year. If the vaccines oh. go right and, you know, the lockdown does what it needs to do. There could um, be live music again this there year. There could be live music again this year. Like I want to see the skin. Sweaty, oh. like, mosh pits, live music, oh. fucking just loveliness. And I just, I can't wait. And, and like, it might not happen this year, but that's a Who happy knows? thought. Because if it does happen, I'll be happy. So That's good. And I'm an optimist. I'm a glass half full kind of guy. It's good for you, Ben. <laughs> when I'm not being a grumpy arsehole, which oh. is a good sort of... 35, 40% of the time. <laughs> well, that is good. I, yeah, I would be very happy if we could do some gigging at the end of this year. That would be positive. Um, what are you looking forward to doing this year if everything goes back to normal? What do you think? What are you going to do or not do? Um, we hope you enjoyed this bunch of rambling. Um, we'll see you next week. And stay safe, everyone. Bye-bye.